We'll just start reading verse 1. We'll open in prayer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV, so there might be some differences when we come to the prayer. Now Jesus was uh, was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Our Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we can look into your word. We thank you that it's living and powerful, Lord, and it's able to touch each part of our life, Lord, and that we don't need to go anywhere else, that we can just come to you. So, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you speak to us today, for your servants are listening. And it's in your son's name we do pray. Amen. All right, so what we're going to look at, we're just going to look at one phrase here. And it's this one found here in verse uh, verse 1 in chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, when you think about the, if you want to call it the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, you think about, uh, there's also another one in Matthew. This is not the only one. There's two of them. There's two references of it. One, he's at the, he's on the mount, right? And his, uh, he's going through the Beatitudes and then he teaches them a prayer because there was a lot of repetition. There was, there was, uh, there was no meaning behind it. And he gives them this, uh, a prayer like this one. And it's a little different, especially in the ESV and the New American Standard. There's some differences because of the text that they translate it from. Uh, the King James, I believe, has it the same in both. But this time is different. It says here that he goes to a certain place as his custom. And one of his disciples, after watching the Lord prayer, can, uh, pray, can you imagine that? What kind of prayer that was like? I mean, to be close to him would have been phenomenal, right? I mean, sometimes you imagine this with your... Uh, spiritual imagination, as it were. But to see the Lord pray, and then after he was finished, they're all sitting there watching, like, man, teach us to pray. And notice the word here, teach us to pray, not how to pray. And sometimes when we come to this prayer, the disciples or the Lord's Prayer, whatever you want to call it, sometimes I might say both, um, we look at it, well, that's a model of how to pray. But that's not what they're telling. they're asking him. They're saying, teach us to do it more. Teach us to pray, actually pray. We don't pray enough. We don't. And you know what's interesting about this question is there's the Lord right there in front of them, and there's they feel that there's still a disconnection. They're not having enough communication with God. That's amazing to me when you think about it. There's the Son of God right there. Teach us to do it more. We need to be in closer fellowship communication with God. And now... 2,000 years later, right, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, do we need to spend more time in prayer, more time in communication with our, with our Heavenly Father? Of course we do. So one of the things I want to ask is just be thinking as we're going through some of this, is, is there anything, is there any reason why we shouldn't be praying more? You know, sometimes it's because... Um, well, let's take it, uh, this, of course, this is all personal, right? So a lot of my examples, I, I sp- I'm speaking to myself. You know, we go to prayer when there's, an, when there's an issue, right? I have an issue. There's sickness in my family. There's sickness in myself. Lord, please. Is that, a, is that a prayer that we can bring to the Lord? Of course, right? We can bring our needs to Him, but it's almost as if it's, it, it, that's proverbial lamp, right, that we want to rub when we need something. As the genie comes out, well, here... You know, I say that 
in a respectful manner, but that's how we treat it. We only come to the Lord when we need something. Here he comes. Lord, please, I need this. Uh, I got a sickness here. Please uh, heal it. Or I have, um, there's a test coming up. Or I'm looking into buying a new house. And then you can go back down and I'm going to continue with my life. That's not what prayer is. That's a perversion of it. Prayer is, uh, is a constant is a uh, communication, right, with our maker. And he speaks to us through his word. There's open line of communication. So sometimes it's treated like that. Or sometimes, um, you know, as a need, as a dire need, right, there's, uh, as Peter, as he's walking on the water, right, one of the shortest prayers, Lord, save me. Sometimes we need that, right? There's an accident or something that comes upon us so quickly and we say, hey, you know, you hear this a lot in the unbelieving world, right? When something tragic or something sudden happens, they say, oh, my God, right? And they're not saying it in such a way of, as a respectful or, or a, um, or a way to bring honor to God's name. But that's what they're saying. Oh, my God. What in the world? Do something, Lord. Do something about it. So what is it that, can, can we think of any valid reason why we shouldn't be praying more? This is just something to think about. And, and, and really, um, I wanted to bring a, a little object lesson, but I was trying to think of what would be best, a thermometer or the little litmus paper, you know, to test the acidity of certain solutions of whether it's an acid or a base. But prayer really, amongst other things, could be used but that's really the temperature of our spiritual life. How much time am I actually spending in prayer really reflects on how close I am with the Lord. Right? Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody, or if you are in a relationship with somebody? It could be a friend. It could be a spouse. But you don't spend any time communicating with them. What kind of relationship is it? Sometimes you, you, you don't even know what's going on or what they're thinking or better yet, when we think about what God is, uh, when we're spending time talking and communing with Him, we don't get closer. There's a closeness that's not there. And, and we only go, say, once a week when we need something, or maybe even, maybe even, uh, worse than that, something further on. Maybe it's once a month, whatever it is, of course. But can you imagine just that much we're going into God's presence that infrequently? So what is it that, uh, is there any reason why we shouldn't be spending time, um, we shouldn't be spending more time spending with the Lord in prayer? Um, prayer, it's been said, I, I said this, I went, I went over it with assuming that everybody knows what it is, right? It's, it's, it's a time where the person can have uh, an audience with the creator of heaven and earth, right? We come to him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he asked, uh, the Lord Jesus says, ask in my name, but we come and we speak to him, right? He, we're speaking to him. He makes the time and comes and talks to us. You know, there's a story, uh, uh, last Wednesday actually too, we were, um, Brother Hart was talking about the power of prayer. And we hear that a lot. And sometimes we can look in our own lives and see how we prayed about something and it's so exciting to see an answer. But there's a story in Genesis 18. But um, Abraham, it's Abraham and, and uh, Sarah, and they're sitting in their tent. And um, while it's so hot uh, during the day because of the time of the day, they're, they're inside of the doorway, right? 
There's no AC, obviously, but you know they want to get some breeze, but they don't want to be out in the sun. And then all of a sudden, three guys appear, and they're like, this is really odd. Obviously, he understood that this is a divine appearance. Happens to be God, right? He's coming to talk with him. And that's essentially what prayer is, right? Conversing with God Almighty. That's what he's doing. He's conversing with him. But um, amongst one of the things he, he tells him about the promise, he's promising uh, Isaac is going to come, but he later he turns his attention. Now, this is, this is so uh, amazing to me that God takes the time. Now, in this particular moment, right, he's everywhere. He didn't sacrifice him being God. But at that moment, there he is spending time with Abraham one-on-one. I mean, Abraham didn't squander the opportunity, right? He's talking with him. He's conversing with him. Then God turns his attention to something that Abraham had no idea, and he's including him. He's about to do something to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's about to bring him in, right, to his plans, let him know what's going on. And he's inviting Abraham to intercede for what was going on with there. Abraham had a vested interest of what was happening. His brother-in-law was down there. And so it's something that's so precious. You, you, you won't, you'll miss that if you're not communicating with our maker, if you're not reading his word, right? You're going to miss what he's doing in this world, right? We want to be involved. We want to make a difference. You, you hear this a lot. What better way of making a difference than to be on our knees? It doesn't have to be our knees, but as a hypothetical, but in prayer, right, for our loved ones, for this world, right, and t- conversing with God Almighty, right? Abraham did more in prayer, far away of a hill looking over Sodom than anybody else did, especially his brother-in-law being at the gate and trying to judge and trying to change things the way they were. Abraham did more conversing with God one-on-one, right? So there is power, power in prayer and what the Lord can do. Okay, so let's continue reading, though. We only stopped at verse 1. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking to him, when you pray, say... Now, this is where some of the differences, again, the critical text and the what um, the King James is, is, is um, translated from, there's differences between the ESV, the NIV, and the uh, New American Standard. So some of it, you might not have exactly what I have here. We'll say a little bit about it, but it says this, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And then it says here in verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go with him at midnight to say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer them from within, Do not bother me, for the door is now shut, my children are in bed. I cannot get up and get you anything. I will tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, but because of his impotence, that he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, uh, uh, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will you, um, instead of a fish, will you give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And we'll stop here for now. So the the chapter, uh, the section is Luke 11, but we're just going to focus in on these uh, about 12 verses here. But in particular, Lord, teach us to pray. So we're going to look at the, the, the prayer um, in particular. We're gonna, it, in mind, in the ESV, there's five petitions that the Lord um, presents that we are to model, right, or to ask as we're praying. So keep in mind, um, what is, is there any good reason, right, to not, to not be more, uh, spend more time in prayer? And these five things, I think, should, uh, can encourage us to be more in prayer. Not just because we obviously understand that we're dependent on Him and that He's able to work miracles and He's able to go above and beyond anything that we, we think about. Yes, that's true. But there's other things that we can consider in this prayer. So we're going to look at these five, uh, five petitions in the remaining part of our time and let's see what the Lord um, has for us. Okay, so the first one, we're just going to go right down this. Father, hallowed be your name. So he first um, addresses uh, God as Father. Now this is, you know, as a believer, especially being in this time, we kind of just glance over this. But this is this is very unique and very radical, at least in this time, right? Israel at that time had a relationship with God, but they understood him. He, he, the Lord, calls them his spouse, right? He's their husband. He's also their God. But the closeness of, of a father, right, to his children, I mean, that's pretty close. Now, he's, he's modeling a prayer for us. So he's saying, those of you, right, that know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, right, were brought into God's family, and God... The Father, He's our Father, and so we're to address Him as such. Now, this plays into what He says later, um, uh, when He's saying, "When you're knocking and you're when you're knocking or you're asking, right? What father among you, right? There's a father who has a child and he's hungry, and you know his favorite uh, meal is say fish, and the Lord says, "Are you going to give him pulling out of your pocket and give him a snake when he's when he wants fish to eat?" Of course not, right? Now, this this also helps me understand, too. Uh, the children of Israel were guilty of this at one point. We'll mention it. But, you know, to understand God's character, that he's 100% good at all times, and that as a father, he's able to answer in a way that's good for me. Now, that's interesting because sometimes we think what the way we want God to answer the prayer is good for us, but that's not the way God's going to answer it, right? He's God. And we need to understand that as a father, right, and, and, and according to his character, he's going to answer at all times 100%. He's never not going to be good to us, right? Or he's never not going to look out for what's best for us. Israel at one point, as they were traveling through the wilderness, they got to um, a point where they were complaining so much. Uh, you know, they were complaining about water, meat, whatnot. But they got to one point, and it's just a verse, but they said, um, they complained so much, and this is what their complaint was, God brought us out here to die. He doesn't care about us anymore. I mean, what a, sli- a slant against his character. God doesn't care about us anymore, as if it was he was human like us, right? We're forgetful, we're, uh, we have short memories, and we have to work at things. But God doesn't, that's, that, none of that can be attached to God. 
He's 100% holy. He's 100% good. He, he never stops that. He never will stop. So they at this point, because of the way they felt and because what they were going through, oh, he doesn't care about us anymore. It's not like that, right? So understanding as a heavenly father, right, all that entails, right, his character, his goodness, his holiness, everything, right, that is the first step. Hallowed be your name. So when we think of the word hallowed, um, it's kind of a funny word. But it, it just, it, it means set apart. And, um, it, when we come to names, um, I don't know, uh, if, especially in maybe in Western culture, maybe in other cultures it's a little different nowadays, but I don't know too many, uh, families that name their kids after the way, um, say in biblical times, things, they name their kids. Now, they name their kids after, uh, family members, long past, but a lot of times you see names given because of certain things that happen. For instance, like Esau and Jacob. Remember, they were twins and they were coming out. And as Esau came out first, and then as he was pulling him out, you know, there was a kid holding on to his ankle, and that was Jacob. Since so they called him Jacob or supplanter, right? So I don't know if we name our kids like that because you know they come out red, and we're going to call him Esau. You know, we don't. We we tend to look at the names, you know, whether because there's a name in the family. Or a name that we like, the parents and I like, so we, we name it after that. But then in these times, right, names had a particular meaning, especially when there was interaction with man and God. Uh, you think about um, uh, Hagar, when she was in the desert. Remember, she was running away from, from Sarah, and she was an Egyptian. She was an Egyptian, but she was actually she was close enough to Abraham to see what was going on, that God was working with him. But she's out in uh, out in the desert. She's running away because uh, her master uh, Sarah now is after her because of what is, what has happened in the home. But God comes and visits, and then God leaves, and she call and she says, "Well, you are a God who sees." Right? There's an identifying. Like, how can I identify who God is? Well, the things that they do, right? the things that He does. Right? The man has given him a name. There's also Abraham. Um, when he's out, a, when he's taking Isaac up right to sacrifice, God will provide, right? So the name is very um, significant, especially when we're talking about God. How do you uh, classify who God is? Well, the best way, according to the scripture, right, there's different names that he's given. He's a providing God. He's a God who sees. He's the holy God. But uh, here, when we start off, hallowed be your name. There's no other name that's greater than God, right? He is holy. He is set apart. And... Practically, how can we look at this and when we're going through prayer? Well, is he set apart in our life? Or is he just somebody, as we said before, well, I got this need and this pressing need that I can't do anything about. Well, I'm going to go to him and talk to him. Or maybe in my, in my actions, right? I'm not setting apart God in my actions or even in my speech, right? God forbid that we do that. But God's name is holy. It's hallowed. Am I practicing that in my life, right? Practically, we want to look at each one, but then we also want to pull out some practical, um, hopefully a practical uh, action that we can do. So hallowed be your name. Let's look at the next one. Your kingdom come. So we can look at it like at... Um, uh, the way I want to look at it is just as, as it actually says. So your kingdom come now... I know Mike was here, and he spoke about the kingdom of God coming being the gospel, and I can understand that. But I, I, I think what he's asking 
or what he's telling is, well, we want your actual kingdom to, to come down. And who doesn't, right? I mean, not even unbelie- I mean, not just exclusive to believers, right? Unbelievers want this world to be set right. And the only way it's going to happen is when God's kingdom comes here. And the person who's reigning over that government being God himself. The only way things are going to get better, right, is if God comes down and intervenes. And that's what he's saying. Your kingdom come. We want to see your kingdom. We want to see your reign on earth. Now, not everybody's going to want to see it, right? Because then they're going to have to pay, they're going to have to own up to him, right? And he's going to judge them with a rod of iron, it says there. Uh, Daniel 7 talks about the Ancient of Days and his everlasting kingdom. And he's going to throw down the beast and the world system. Everything that was contrary to God, all the evil is going to be put down once and for all. So he's saying, your kingdom come. How can we practically look at this? Well, when we think about that, that time where, um, well, I also mentioned this, that when we, when we think about the other um, time where the Lord talks about a model of prayer, it adds this. It says, your, um, I might be misquoting it, but it says, your, uh, let your will be done on earth, I mean, on, in heaven as it, as it's, as it is in heaven, so it be on earth, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing. So, He's asking, as it's done in heaven, let it be done on earth, right? We want to see it done here, right? Now, God has given everybody a, a, uh, ability, right? A will to say yes or no. But it will be at one, at that time that they're going to have to be forced, but he's saying we want to see God's reign here. We want to see it happen, uh, what God wants, and we want to see this world brought back, right? This whole creation groans, right, for that time where God's going to come and reign because of all um, the twistedness that sin has introduced. But how practically, how can we look at this? Now, obviously we want to see God's, we want to see God make things right, right? There's a lot of wrong. And, and a lot of times we come across um, something that happens, even personally, and we want to make it right, right now. But sometimes it, it doesn't always work like that. And, and sometimes we may not even see it in our lifetime that things are set right. But God will at one point. And so how can we practically look at this? Your kingdom come. Well, there's one aspect of, when we look at that government, who's reigning? Well, that's God. He's sitting on the throne. And how, how practically can I look at that? Well, is he on the throne of my life? Right? We can kind of just uh, play, uh, we slip into this role of just playing the Christian and, you know, we go to church and maybe we even go to the prayer meeting, but the rest of the five or six days that are in the week when we're not meeting with other Christians, well, that's my time. And, you know, that, that's where I got to do this and I got my own thing. You know, is God still reigning, as it were, uh, over my heart? Now, I, I didn't mention this, but, you know, when we think about these prayers, if I don't pray, hallowed be your name, or if I don't pray, your kingdom come. Is that going to change anything in God's plan? It's going to happen, right? So what is he actually saying? This is actually for you, right? This is where you uh, get closer to God and understand that these, these are realities. God's name is separate. God's name is hallowed. God's kingdom is coming. It, it's not going to change anything if you don't want to talk about it or you, don't want to, or you just want to continue with your Christian life and and not have God reigning over your life. It's going to happen, right? So these are reminders for us that, 
And of course, we want to have God reigning over our life and controlling everything about it, right? Being in close communication and communion with and having a closeness and relationship with our our Creator and our Redeemer. So your, our, uh, your kingdom come. So that's number two. Let's look at the next one. Give us each day our daily bread. Um, if anybody has a uh, study Bible or some kind of with footnotes, if you look at that word bread, um, there's the, the, the word is actually of, of a future tense. So it's not just the day then, but it's actually tomorrow too and something in the future. So he's asking for uh, uh, the provision, not just today, but later. And again, sometimes it does, it's not answered in the way that we want. Right, but we're asking God at the at the time that you want to respond and the time that you want to answer. I'm submitting right to your authority. Please give us this day our daily bread. Now, in some sense, we we can go out and get some of these things right then and there. Right, we we don't have to wait for God's timing. But here He is, or the as a model, He's asking. Um, we're asking the Lord to give us each day our daily bread. The things that we need to survive, does God care about? Of course he does, right? He wants to see us carry on, right? He knows uh, about our frames. And so he's able to sustain us. And and we're asking to do it on his time, right? We're submitting in his will. I don't know if some of this is making sense, but the idea that the Lord is uh, that every aspect, right, we come to him for everything, right? That, that, doesn't change, that doesn't change the fact that if I don't acknowledge it, right, because the Lord is the one that owns everything. The Lord owns my breath. He's given me everything. But, again, we're asking him to give us not only today but in the future, right, our sustenance and to provide for us. And, really, he further comments on this. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit in verse 10, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 11, but of a of us oh, no I'm sorry verse five that that person that comes over to the friend's house for bread because somebody has come and he needs it for tomorrow right so it's not something that we can't ask for but it's something that we're to repeatedly ask for now again um, why did that man get up and give him bread because he kept knocking not because he was a friend and so it's not just well I prayed about it. And I'm going to move on. We need to continually, right? That's, that's what he's telling him. Continually be knocking. Continually be asking. And keep going to him. And then um, the man got up and got bread for his friend. But the Lord is asking us to continually come to his presence. Bring these requests to me. Bring these, make these requests known to me. Spend time with me. Talk with me. And then let's look at the fourth one. Now there's, there's a, two parts for this one. Um, we really have the practical right after it, but forgive us our sins and the practical is as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Um, is that a prayer that as a Christian that we need to make? Of course, right? We go through life, right? And there are times where the relationship has been damaged because of sin and he is faithful and just according to 1 John, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us of these, of our sins, right? So we come and confess. But the practical, it actually gives it to us 
as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, we think about, when we think about what, uh, somebody who's indebted to us, you think something monetary, right? They owe us lunch money. Or they owe us, uh, 20 bucks because we borrowed it for whatever. But think about everyone who has wronged you is indebted to you, right? They need to come and say, we're sorry. The, the practical is you need to forgive them in your own life. That's tough, right? When it's just you. Because sometimes, right, as individuals, we want to hold on to something. That person did that to me. And, and really, this, this, this is far reaching, right? Because when you look at the church, and sometimes, uh, something happens and, and the other person might not even know, but we're so wronged by it. And, and then we're asking the Lord to forgive us of our sins, but we can't even forgive the person who's sitting next to us in the, well, we're not pews anymore, but the chairs in church, right? So what's the practical? Well, we're, we're asking the Lord to forgive us, but he's looking too, right? We can't fool God. And he's saying that we don't have a forgiving attitude either with the people around us. So as much as we've wronged God and we expect him to forgive us, and he will, we're to, right, then in turn forgive others who are are indebted to us and not just what they owe us with money, right? I think it's more practical to look at it like this. Have they wronged us? Or, or the way we feel, we've been wronged. Or, you know, there's something I deserve and my company, you know, I've been working there for seven years and, and this person gets moved up so quickly and, and I've been putting in my time and there's not, I need that promotion. Right? Turn it over to the Lord, right? I need to, um, Forgive, as it were. But, no, that needs to be turned over to the Lord. Anybody that's wronged me, everybody who's indebted to me, I need to practically, right, forgive them. Now, that's a tough That's a tough one, right? It is tough because sometimes the, especially when it's emotional or it's a loved one that has wronged us, it, it cuts pretty deep, right? But we're to forgive, practically speaking, everyone who's indebted to us as we come to the Lord and ask Him to forgive us of our sins, right? There's nobody... Think about it like this. This also is good to put things in perspective. We don't, sometimes we don't see sin the same way, um, especially the same way as the Lord does. But a holy God, right, sin is very offensive. He can't have it in his sight. How much has he been offended because of our sin, right? And what, how we've treated him. We just were thinking about it this morning that God would put himself in, so, in such close proximity that his creation would be able to clench their fist and punch him right in the face. Or to spit at him and on his face. I mean, that's pretty low. That's pretty. That that's very degrading. But is he? If he's able to forgive us through all that, right? Who then are we not? Are we not going to be able to forgive those who cut us off in traffic or whatever it is, right? I mean, I'm not going to try to to minimalize it. Uh, but forgive everybody. Uh, forgive those who are indebted to us. And let's look at the last one. Lead us not into temptation. Now, this one, um, we think about temptation. Now, I want to present two of them here, but I'll tell you which one I like to go with. The problem here, if you look at it face value, is, it, of course, we're not. I'm not promoting it, but you think about it. Is, is God able to, as it were, set his fishing hook or his fishing pole, and on the end of it, he puts some kind of sin, and he's going to dangle it in front of us, right? Lead us not into temptation. That's not what he's trying to say, right? It says this in James, that God cannot tempt anyone with evil. So it's not that he's putting something out there 
to see if you're going to fall into it. That's not what it's saying. Some people have gone into it and said, they look at the word temptation and they compare it to other words and they say, well, it could be a trial. And what they're asking is, is, is sometimes uh, when, especially you see this with Israel, they get so prideful or they're, they're getting so engrossed in idolatry that God has to cut them down. He brings them into a, a very intense trial and he cuts them down. And what, what he's giving them as an example, don't let us get too far to where we're so deep in sin that you have to bring that trial or that temptation to cut us down. I just like it to look at it as face value. That God, there is pitfalls everywhere I'm walking, right? Because I'm still dealing with the old nature, right? I'm a born-again believer, but I'm still dealing with the old nature. Keep me back from falling into those pitfalls. It's not that he's tempting me, but pull me out of it. Let me look at it. There's an example of um, also going back to Abraham. But Abraham, uh, in his journeys... He spent some time in the land of Philistines. Now, of course, he did not, uh, he didn't take possession of any of that land. So that's still, he was a sojourner. Journey, uh, he was journeying around. But there was a time that he spent some, uh, some time in the land of Philistines. And he came in and to protect himself, because he knew his wife was very beautiful, he told everybody that she's my sister. Because he thought, well, if they want to take her because she's so beautiful, they're going to have to get through me because obviously she came in with me and I'm her husband. They're going to kill me. So I'm going to protect myself by telling her, telling everybody that she's my sister. So the men of the land see her. They take her, say, wow, she's very beautiful. She belongs in the king's court. And so there she goes. And that night, the king happened to be Abimelech, his name is. And God comes to him in a dream. And in that dream... He, the, one of the first says, words he says, and it's very, very scary when you think of it. Behold, you are a dead man. I mean, can you imagine God coming to you in a dream and telling you, you're a dead man? So, I mean, he's got his attention, right? So, he tells, God tells him, you're a dead man because you have somebody's wife. And he says, I didn't, I did that in innocence. And God says to him, listen, I know in the integrity of heart you did that. There, that's, uh, because you did that, I held you back. Right? So God held him back from going into that sin, going into that temptation. And that's the idea, that God's able to reach down and pull us. Now, sometimes we might not even know that's happened in our life. That there's something that, that God spared us out of, right, from going there, because we, even, we might even be pushing towards it. And God would pull us out of that, right? Now, it doesn't happen like that all the time, right? Remember David? I mean... Some say he shouldn't have been up there on that roof. Some say that he wanted to be on that roof. Right? He was supposed to be somewhere else. Was We could see that in Scripture. But there he was, up on that roof. Maybe he knew that woman was going to be up there bathing at that time. He knew the schedule. But in any case, he went forward with it. Right. So, praying to the Lord, don't let us get to that temptation. Right? Pull us out of that. So, we have a couple of physical requests that we ask. Give us our daily bread and ask the, the physical need that we need in the, in the future. There's two spiritual. Forgive us of our sins as we practically, right? Forgive those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, 
We confess that we're weak individuals, right? There are pitfalls everywhere that we can fall in, sometimes because we want to fall into them, because we're out there getting as close as we can to that sin without falling in. Pull us out of it, right? Don't lead us towards that. And hallowed be thy name, right? Setting the name of the Lord apart in our life, right? God is holy. Uh, we're to treat him as such. And your kingdom come, right? Looking forward to that day where God's going to reign on this earth, right? Evil's going to be put down. But is he practically, right, on the throne of my heart? Or am I there, right? He needs to be there. He should be there, right? But I have the ability, right, the will, right, to submit myself to his authority. And really, as we look back at our original question, is there any reason why we shouldn't be praying more? As we look at these things, there isn't. We should be spending as much time as we can uh, alone with God. And, and really prayer, as we said before, is the temperature of our spiritual life, right? Is it, is it really low, right? We're spending hardly any time with him. We're not communicating. That's the time that we can talk with him, right? And that he talks to us in various ways, but a lot of times it is through his scripture, right? He responds through um, when we're spending time with him reading. And so... Let's just close our time in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for uh, your word again. We thank you for the teaching that we find in it. And we just pray, Lord, that we would be classified as people of prayer, that we would spend as Daniel, the only thing that they can look at and define about what Daniel's life was, well, that man prays just too much. Lord, we just pray, we just ask, Lord, that we would be found as that person, as as that uh, type of individual, one who is on his knees at all times, Lord, as it were, or in a closet, or as at work, Lord. It doesn't have to be somewhere where we're private, Lord. We can be praying at all times, and we just pray that we would have that closeness, Lord, recognize that closeness with you is where we can do the most um, in this world, but also in the most in our life, Lord, is when we're inviting you in. So, Father, just pray that you bring us home safely, and Lord, just name we do pray. Amen.